How fast can you go? Orange Blossom Special. You know that? If it messes up, it'll be our fault. This is Southern Songs and Stories, showcasing the music of the South and the artists who make it. I'm your host, Joe Kendrick, and in this episode, we conclude our history of Green Acres Music Hall with a focus on later years in its four-decade run and new interviews with artists like Jerry Douglas, Sam Bush, and Mike Lynch, along with performances ranging from the very first bluegrass show played at the Acres on December 30, 1978, which is playing now, to shows from Bela Fleck and the Fleck Tones in 1991, Larry Keel with Snake Oil Medicine Show in 97, and Sam Bush's band Duck Butter, also in 1997. We've covered a lot of ground so far, from the origin to conversations with many key players and participants, and a lot of great music. Along the way, we have run up against biker gangs descending upon clubs and outdoor festivals and taking them for their own, to finding a place on the map that no one had bothered to put on that map, to no sink, to snow collapsing a roof, to exploding concert ticket prices, and losses at the door. There's a whole slew of stories packed into this little spot out in the western North Carolina hill country. Bob Crawford from the Avid Brothers, and the podcast you're listening to is part of the Osiris Network, a global community connecting passionate music fans with podcasts about music, artists, and culture. For more information about all the shows in our network, please visit OsirisPod.com. Osiris. Southern Songs and Stories is sponsored by Dynamite Roasting with the world's best 100% certified organic and fair trade coffee. Roasted with love in Black Mountain, North Carolina. DynamiteRoasting.com And we're sponsored by you when you join us as a patron and help keep this series going. More information is on our website at southernsongsandstories.com and on our crowdfunding page, patreon.com slash southernsongsandstories. You can subscribe to Southern Songs and Stories podcast on our website as well as on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, CastBox, and TuneIn. Please take a moment to rate the show and comment on this podcast. It's one of the easiest and best ways to spread the word about Southern Songs and Stories and about the artists that we spotlight. 
probably 50 Saturdays out of a year, every Saturday night. Some, a lot of Saturdays when I wanted to be at New Orleans or Telluride or wherever, I was stuck at the Green Acres Music Hall because I did a show Saturday night for 20 years. You know, behind every successful man is a really surprised woman. I always remember that, but behind Steve Metcalf was Donna. You know, she passed quite a few years ago, but she was charming and tolerant. She was very involved in it. I always remember his children being there and running errands and doing things and being part of it. It was very much a family operation. You know, it's kind of funny. It was pretty well, pretty well accepted, except the bluegrass people hated us because we we electrified bluegrass. They hated that. They would not come. And all of a sudden, right in front of the stage, some guy just fell out of the rafters right in front of us. We went, man, they're literally hanging by the rafters in here. Fitz asked Nile, he said, out of all these bands that have came through and played at this, this place, who would be your favorite band? He said, Nile thought about it for a second, and he said, I guess it'd probably be my band. (laughs) (laughs) Nile and the Country Drifters, I got to put a plug in for them, for sure. He had a heart of gold, but uh, you probably didn't want to be on the wrong side of him. But uh, I remember uh, just him giving you a big hug was painful. (laughs) He he worked for years in the pulpwood. Uh, industry, and that's back when they were carrying five-foot lengths of logs on their shoulders. This was a lot was done by hand, and yeah, he was just a he was a Paul Bunyan. There's no doubt about it. You just heard from Mike Lynch, and before him, Brian McMurray of Acoustic Syndicate, Sam Bush, Sandy Carlton, Carol Rifkin, and Steve Metcalf. This is the music of Larry Keel with Steph's tune from a New Year's Eve show at Green Acres when they played with Snake Oil Medicine Show just before 1997 crossed over to 1998. We started the music in this episode with some of the very first bluegrass played at the Acres by Brushy Creek. That was almost a New Year's Eve show too, December 30th, 1978, and the closing tune that night, their take on the bluegrass standard Orange Blossom Special, or as our guest Sandy Carlton called it, the free bird of fiddle music. We talked with Brushy Creek guitarist Mike Lynch at length about his many nights at Green Acres as a performer and a spectator, and you'll hear from him in this, our conclusion to the story. We also welcome Jerry Douglas and Sam Bush to the conversation, and we'll hear from folks who went there to more who played there, like Bela Fleck, Acoustic Syndicate, John Cowan, plus Little King Steve Metcalf, who, if you haven't caught on yet, does have a habit of introducing groups on stage as his favorite band after all these years. Steph's Dane. Hey, welcome to the Acres! Hey, still after all these years... My favorite band, Duck Butter!
We're a long way from the first chapter of Greenacres Music Hall now, as we hear this cassette of Sam Bush's cover band, Duck Butter, for their version of Cannonball Adderley's Mercy, Mercy, Mercy. Sam still gets out for a Duck Butter date every so often. He describes Duck Butter now as actively inactive. They've been doing their covers of blues and rock classics since 1980. We're a long way from that first chapter of Green Acres by the calendar and a lot of other ways. What began as an indoor hall featuring the proprietor's country band and other local country acts, a place for dancing on a Saturday night with a few dozen or more in the audience, had grown to include an outdoor stage with camping for hundreds or more. Emphasis on more. Showcasing styles of music that would at times have sounded flat-out alien to those first crowds, watching Nile cover Johnny Cash in The Country Drifters. We're sitting in the crazy quilt of chairs, couches, pews, and old movie theater seats under the Nile Dome on a warm night, watching Phil Cheney paint a spontaneous interpretation of the musical circus known as Snake Oil Medicine Show, while a Chinese dragon weaves in and out of the audience. We're decked out in costumes ourselves come every Halloween. We dance to duck butter ripping into ZZ Top, We're witnessing Bela Fleck and the Flecktones getting truly cosmic every time they set foot on the stage. And there's a lot of us in Generation X turning out in ever larger numbers to see the spectacle more than the music. Indeed, we are far from the beginning at this point, much closer to the end of the run for Green Acres. While it hosted shows as recently as 2006 with the group Tater playing a reunion gig, the early 2000s were the conclusion for the most part. Speaking of not being in Kansas anymore... Let's drop in on the Flectones at Green Acres on May 18, 1991, with a bit of Sinister Minister, sourced from archive.org.
It didn't feel dangerous. It didn't feel out of control. I mean, you probably had some nights, Steve, that felt out of control uh, in terms of being responsible for everybody there. But it never felt like that for, for new grass or flectones that no, I remember. It, yeah, it was beautiful for uh, new grass and the flectones. And then I finally got to the age where I said, these young kids, you know, when the the new stuff would start coming into the campgrounds and, uh, and then it got a little dangerous and... I agreed with the sheriff. It was time to end. And didn't you have some trouble with somebody across the street, a lady who really didn't like what was happening at all? Yeah, she didn't at all. And every show we would have, she would call the law. Mm -hmm. And then now I would run them off, of course, the, the, the big lumberjack who owned the place. How would he get them to leave? Uh, I think terror. <laughs> he was scary. He was him. scary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd have to say that I was more fond of the earlier years when it was indoors, when when it moved outdoors and when it became available over the Internet. Then you started getting folks, and I'm not saying a lot of folks, but you started getting some there that, that didn't understand Green Acres and maybe didn't appreciate it as much as they should have. And, and uh maybe came more to uh, party than to uh, uh, listen to the music. I remember going to see Bella Fleck and Fleck Tones and, and uh, David Grisman, and uh, these, these crowds were huge, and, and that, that was good for, for Green Acres, but in a way, I guess it was bad. You know, some people started parking on other people's land and that kind of thing, so that, that uh, caused some problems, I guess. And um, I, I noticed as we were going into the 90s, the audiences were A, younger, B, more inebriated, and C, doing little things like stealing each other's stuff that never occurred in the 80s. So, unfortunately, the new generation seemed to have brought... Uh, uh, it's, how can I put this? When we were all there, it's like we were responsible for ourselves. And you can drink and you can do what you want, but we're all driving out of here. So I, I, I did see a shift in the audience change a little bit. And, and not that I played there that much more in the 90s, but uh, I, I did see a different kind of audience, a younger, more irreverent towards each other audience. That's kind of a sign of the times, I think. But, it, you know, just an observation. And maybe it had to do with moving it all outdoors as well. It became more of a festival atmosphere rather than when, you know, for years we were in, the, in Niles Auction Barn. That was Sam Bush, preceded by Mike Lynch, who played in Brushy Creek, plus bluegrass bands Carolina Crossfire and Generation Gap. And we started with Steve Metcalf from our time together with Bela Fleck. Ah, those pesky kids, when will they get off my lawn? says the Gen Xer whose age implicates him in this narrative. Actually, I wasn't stealing things and causing trouble at the Acres when I was there in the 90s, for the record. And although it may first come across as stereotyping a younger generation, they've got a good point here. There were thousands of people at some of those outdoor shows, and whenever that many people let their hair down in one place, there's a greater chance for bad behavior. Mostly, this acting out was confined to the premises, but from time to time, it spilled out of bounds in the form of, say, filling the parking lot of the neighboring church so that come Sunday morning, the congregation had nowhere to park. The first generation of Green Acres audience was still there for many shows, but they were being outnumbered by a wave of new people that saw the place as, as Billy Herring said, 
a destination venue. It was more see, be seen, and let loose than a captivating concert to be drawn into. Although those mind-blowing shows could happen in the middle of the Hillbilly Freakout too, these weren't mutually exclusive. To give you an idea of what I mean by Hillbilly Freakout, let's drop a little bit of the snake oil on you. This is a kind of hybrid snake oil medicine show with John Flower, George Pond, Andy Pond, Jason Kreckle, Steve Peterson, Kristen Hubbard, and joined by Larry and Jenny Keel and others on New Year's Eve 1997. I got this on archive.org, and it was recorded by Chris Piner, a board tape from a Yamaha dual cassette, to be exact. I'll let Snake Oil's former bass player and longtime member of Acoustic Syndicate, Jay Sanders, set it up for you. Warp extra cosmoverse. Alleviate the ache in my consciousness, baby. Been waiting 10 minutes for that. At this point, the rhino is just a hazy silhouette in the smoke left from the blast when he hit the ground. The fly turns and looks at the smoke, sees the tip of the rhino's horn appear, the rest of the rhino's horn appears. The rhino appears from the smoke, and the fly now, in complete rebellion and, and angst, anxious, rushes at the rhino this time. The fly, and the rhino emerging from the smoke. Now they're to the distance between the two is getting smaller, getting smaller, and just at the moment when the fly and the tip of the rhino's nose meet, at that very moment the fly touches the rhino's tip of his nose, and then everything in the fly's world seems to vanish and disappear as he buzzes off into another dimension, and the rhino, merely holding on to this dimension with the tip of his nose, trying to nose his way back in, slips out into off into another dimension where he assumes a liquid form and flies, weightless and effortless, now all his fantasies fulfilled. If you stare into a bright light, you may see him in his liquid form. The fly, as we all decided at the beginning of this, we can all hear him sort of buzzing off now. Listen carefully for the fly. What did you call the indoor place? Because the outside thing was the pavilion, but the in- indoor was just the hall, the music hall. Yeah, the music yeah. hall. Yeah, right. Roland White said this is very much like the old Grange buildings that he would play in in the real early days with what Flight and Scruggs mm-hmm. and yeah well Bill Monroe probably Monroe right. yeah Monroe he was yeah he was he a bluegrass have, boy he may have done but he may have subbed in both I know it sounds really crazy but at the same time there was a sense of purpose and a sense of order and actually decor people treated each other with genuine respect they treated the bands that came there with respect and I don't know. It's, it was kind of a curious mix of craziness and order, if there is such a thing. There were festivals around, but they were mainly populated by an older crowd, uh, sort of my father's generation, you know, the Bill Monroe fans and the, the Ralph Stanley fans. And there were a few younger crowd there, but, but not too much. But you said Green Acres was not a festival, and, and that's true, but... When you were there on Saturday night, it it felt like a festival. It had the vibe of a of a Merle Fest or a Gray Fox. They were in the process of building the outdoor, what we call the Nile Dome. 
And this was a huge structure that was, the, the posts were actually, you know, telephone poles. And uh, me and a friend, we rode over there one Saturday afternoon. We knew Niall and them were over there working on it. So uh, we got over there and I got to looking around at these holes in the ground. You know, they were eight, 10 inches across and you couldn't even hardly see the bottom of them. And so I'm looking around for a tractor, an auger, and all I saw was a pair of post hole diggers laying on the ground. And uh, I said, Niall, I said, you didn't dig these holes with a post hole, all these holes with a post hole digger, did you? He said, oh, no. He said, my son helped me with a couple of them. <laughs> now, it'd take a real man to dig holes like that with a post hole digger. I don't remember seeing uh, very many albums being sold at the time, and, and I don't remember, you had to go to the bus. Because I don't remember every, hardly any of them ever bringing in, uh, setting up and selling merchandise. Again, it was magical. It was organic. It was laid back. And I think at the time, we loved it so much. We really, you know, we really had a good time there. But I don't think we appreciated what an awesome venue that it was and and how it was going to change the way that we listened to music. When I really remember Green Acres is from the late 80s when I was doing um, a lot of shows. I, I had a club over here called Elegaroos. And so, you know, Sam and Bela and Jerry Douglas and, you know, Doc would come over and all, everybody would come over and they were often on their way to uh, Green Acres as part of that little run on their tour. So uh, one time I ventured over with them just to see what the whole scene was about. And, and it was a scene, you know. It was like a, it was, it was a, a party, a social gathering, and a ton of fun. We uh, went inside and there was no one in there. And then I came outside and the whole parking lot was full, but everybody was sitting in their truck in there and later on what i figured out was they were all getting ready for the concert and when they came in when they would get come out of their cars and go into the building they were primed for the for the music
that on the thought of the end of the year there we hope we did you some good we got john flyer george pond jason crackle jenny keel steve peterson Kristen hubbard andy pond caleb over there playing the fiddle jeremy playing the beautiful horn over here we appreciate all of y'all and get ready for the snake hole medicine show thank you steve metcalf and thank you paul back there for running the sound Southern Songs and Stories is part of the Osiris Network. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with podcasts and live experiences about artists and topics you love. We'll be doing many live events this summer around the country, which will include artist interviews, contests, and more. Sign up for the newsletter at OsirisPod.com to stay in the loop. Relics Magazine is a media partner of Osiris. For music news, check out Relics.com. Welcome back. Before the break, you heard from Jerry Douglas, Ashley Capps, Vicki Dameron, Phil Dennis, Mike Lynch with The Building of the Nile Dome Story, Ed Stokes, John Cowan, Bela Fleck with Steve Metcalf, 
and Steve McMurray strumming the Green Acres theme. Jay Sanders preceded that with a nod to his time in Snake Oil Medicine Show, a piece from our podcast episode on Acoustic Syndicate from August 2017. So, making these Green Acres Music Hall episodes has been a bit like going on an archaeological dig. When I started way back in the fall of 2017, I started by seeking out gems like Bela Fleck, John Cowan, and Darren Aldrich. Along the way, I found more spots to dig, uncovering a great number of fun stories, memorable performances, and friendships forged at this little island of musical culture. These were like the standard currency I kept scooping up while there were also bits and pieces of the bones of history that I had never known. My own experience came in towards the end of Greenacre's existence, and the farther I dug down into the memories of those who were there earlier, the more rich things got. I count the earliest shows I have come across in that category, and they come courtesy of bluegrass guitar player Mike Lynch. It was the kind of place that, you know, I guess if you had never been there and you pulled up in the parking lot, you'd probably turn around and leave because it looked like the kind of place that could be rough. But it was absolutely the opposite. A lot of folks from Shelby went. I mean, we had a lot of folks that lived here in Shelby that went there every week. It was just all good, kind-hearted people. Nobody came there to cause trouble. You know, you didn't have fights and, and arguments and stuff. You could let your kids play outside in the dark, you know, chasing fireflies and stuff. There was just absolutely, it was, it was the exact opposite of what you might have got as a first impression pulling in the parking lot. Mike was in the original lineup of Brushy Creek, which helped set off the first wave of change at Green Acres, playing the first ever bluegrass show at the venue in late 1978, with the Broad River Boys also playing that night. Now Cuthbertson had set in motion an evolution of sound that would eventually embrace Devo at Halloween, as played by Acoustic Syndicate. But going back to 1978, here's one from Mike and the Boys. Guess I better tell who we are, in case anybody wants to know. You might, one of them might owe you some money or something. I don't ask if there's any law out here. What do you mean, one of them? Yeah. <laughs> Way over here on the other side. Holding that fiddle, that's Robert Ramsey. I don't know where he's from, I think it's called a D-Light. Yeah. It's a D-Light to have him here tonight, though. Next, uh, this boy here singing monotone, I mean baritone, and playing the banjo. He's from the big town, downtown Lattimore. That is David Martin. Over here on the big guitar, Singing tenor, tenor 11 notes higher than everybody else. Eddie Biggerstaff from Shelby, North Carolina. You get to introduce me. You? Oh, goody. Uh, this fella here with the uh, Martin guitar here, he's from Shelby. Got a brand new hat. Mike Lynch on the guitar. Thank you. I'm going to try to sing another one, Sunny Side of the Mountain. Thought before I'm going far away. 
on the hillside where the wild and rovers grow. On the sunny side of the mountain where the rippling waters flow. did really, really well for themselves, winning fiddle competitions and eventually, in his next band, Carolina Crossfire, besting Allison Krause's band in a six-way contest with Mike's band coming in second and Alice's finishing third. He will be quick to tell you that he figured if Allison had not played fiddle in such a progressive style that her band might easily have won. But this brings up a big piece of the fossilized skeleton I was chipping away at, The fact that for many, Green Acres was the first or among the first places that part-time musicians and fans alike got up close to master musicians like John Hartford, Norman and Nancy Blake, Sam Bush, and a host of others on a regular basis. It gave these local artists a glimpse of these greats' playbooks while also letting them get to know them as not just their heroes but also their friends. The music bug was catching at the Acres, and if you were any kind of player back then, It would have been easy to catch it and imagine that one day you too could jam with Sam or Bela or Grisman. And a few of them did. Well, when you think of uh, the fact that Green Acres would bring in people like Norman Blake and us, you know, it was, um, I, I can think of a few musicians that when they were young, they would sit out and watch us play. And so in that way, of course, that's just the natural evolution of, of how things sort of progress in the world of bluegrass and newgrass. That does come from sitting, and I know it, that's what it was for me, too, sitting in the audience watching people play at festivals and getting up close, watching workshops, what have you. But at, but at Green Acres, yes, you, you could tell who uh, was more serious about learning notes and who was just partying in the audience. <laughs> Most people were just partying, of course. And, uh, and of course, the band would join in with them. <laughs> I think there were those people that lived out there that went to Green Acres on a regular basis. They, d- they weren't the regular concert goer that you would see at a festival or at an auditorium or someplace like that. They didn't go to see their music in, in, a, in big places. They, liked, they preferred smaller venues and where they could let go and, and, you know, there weren't so many rules. 
and that that fed the band as well. I mean, we'd give a different performance because the audience was different, and everybody was a little crazy in there, and and uh, it made us crazy, and and anything went. You know, we 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 tried things. We were much more experimental in in the music because we weren't playing in a, in a auditorium or someplace. You know, we weren't doing the same show we did the night before, and it wasn't. Groundhog Day. We didn't have to go around. I mean, I've played arenas so much of my life that I, where you go and look for your dressing room, that's the first thing you do that day, and that's enough of a chore. And uh, the place, it looks exactly like the place you played the day before. The hockey rink, you know, there's ice under the under the wood or a basketball court or something under there. And in uh, the Green Acres was sofas, a wood stove. And you brought your own beer or whatever you were going to drink, and nobody told you what to do. I mean, everybody—they were—they were all very pleasant, great manners. They would be quiet and listen to the music when it was that kind of music. If it was a rowdy kind of music, they were rowdy. That fed the band. It was—it it, it, was—it was a perfect situation. There weren't as many options then for venues you had to travel especially there you had to travel an hour or two hours to see much yeah yeah uh, yeah you had to go to Asheville you had to go to Charlotte or Hickory to see to see uh, live music and you know unless you knew somebody who was playing on their back porch that night and that's what those people did and that's that's what I come from you know so I I totally understand that mentality if you know if there's nothing great going on on stage somewhere you don't want to go you just don't feel like going out you you get out on the back porch and call a couple of people and make your own music jerry douglas from backstage at merle fest 2018 who played with bluegrass artist buck white as well as newgrass revival at green acres in the 1980s and always at the indoor hall he said thank you you're very kind gonna do a traditional song again for you now this is old as the hills one called cripple creek <laughs> Can't remember that. Up 
the Broad River Boys, taken from their show with Brushy Creek, the first time bluegrass was heard at the Acres in the late 70s. It was before Steve Metcalf first started booking acts there, before the outdoor stage, before a lot of things. Even later in the 80s, Allison Krauss was a kid playing fiddle. Bill Gates had a computer operating system that no one had used yet. Road trips meant you needed quarters for the payphone, and CDs were exotic. Baby boomers were in their 30s and 40s. Funky cool public radio stations and music festivals didn't exist yet. And so we end where we begin, musically at least. Here's one more from Brushy Creek from the pristine copy we got from Mike Lynch and a bit of their cover of the Marshall Tucker Band's Fire on the Mountain. my excavation. With the dig site having turned up many treasures, the rarest seem to be these recordings. I have to tip my hat to archive.org and everyone who is part of that community as I went there time and time again in making these episodes. And a big thanks to Steve Metcalf for opening his home and letting me rummage through his extensive photos and cassette tape collection of Green Acres archives. And Mike Lynch for sharing his audio of Broad River Boys and Brushy Creek. 
The Greenacre story is truly still being told. It lives in everyone who was there, and echoes are heard in new recordings on Steve's record label, Little King. Like almost everyone I talked to who went to Greenacres, it's hard not to feel like we didn't fully realize then how special that time and place really was. Thanks for listening to Southern Songs and Stories, and thanks to our sponsors, Dynamite Roasting, and our supporters on Patreon, especially Rob, Mitch, and Mark. Thanks also to B. Swinky for leaving us a positive review on iTunes, and to Claire Ratliff, Michael Peasant, Dirk Loveless, TJ, and Chris in Maine for leaving comments on our first two Green Acres episodes. Thanks to Don Mack at Bluegrass Planet Radio for carrying the show, too. I encourage you to spread the word about this podcast and consider helping us by subscribing and commenting on our show and by becoming a patron. You can find out more at southernsongsandstories.com and at patreon.com slash southernsongsandstories, and you can keep up with us on our Facebook page, on Twitter, at South Scenes, and Instagram, at South Stories. And please support the music of the artists that you enjoy hearing on Southern Songs and Stories, where we showcase the music of the South and the artists who make it. Osiris. This podcast is in the loop, the Legion of Osiris podcasts. What does that mean? Osiris is a community of great music and culture podcasts. If you like this one, go check out others at osirispod.com and get in the loop. Osiris is partnered with Relics Magazine at relics.com. Rodney Crowell, he has three, maybe four hits on his brand new album are in the top ten. And he's coming from Raleigh where the show got snowed out. His bus door got frozen open and he drove all the way to to Green Acres and got there to this little building and we're sitting out there. We brought brought a couch out to, so he could sit down while we brought the admittance thing and uh, he looked at that and he says, where's the telephone? I want to call my agent. And I said, well, we don't have a telephone. <laughs> that was before cell phones. And the story gets thicker and thicker. But yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. But the thing is, what, what had happened is that well, the, the guys that booked Newgrass had seen Newgrass like make some pretty darn good money for this place in the middle of nowhere. Like Because for one thing, I think you probably gave us everything. I mean, you probably, if you took anything, I was surprised. But we, because, we, you know, you played to 500 people, you know, that was a good money, you know. Uh, and so the, our booking agent probably started talking to other people on the roster and said, hey, you know, if you want to give this thing a try, you know, Newgrass did this many. And they, went, well, they went, well, Rodney probably went, well, I'm, I've got far songs on the charts. I mean, if Newgrass could do 500 people, I could probably do 5,000 people and I'll make all of them, you know. So they took this gig not knowing what they were getting into. And they rolled up and, and saw this, uh, you know, very oh, funky situation. Oh, yeah, we started getting people like, Merle Haggard and Jerry Lee Lewis and uh, Garth Brooks and who used to front Newgrass Revival, Garth Brooks. You actually a, had Garth Brooks come out? Oh, no. Oh, we I get knew, in touch I to knew, try and play I yeah. knew he wanted to play it, and I knew he would bomb. Mm-hmm. Just like, you know. Uh, and they I, wanted big guarantees. Right, right. That you were not going to be able to. Right, because they make, were saying, well, Newgrass made that much money, or the Flectones right. made that so much money. So they started money. trying to work you over as They didn't as realize a, that yeah. they were dealing with super groups, <laughs> Flectones and Newgrass Revival. <laughs>